Hello, I'm Samra, and welcome to the How She Ate an Elephant podcast, an audio diary of accountability. Every week, I break down my career, personal development, and life goals into bite-sized pieces and my game plan for achieving them. By broadcasting them to the world, I'm holding myself accountable to my future self, affectionately known as that girl. In exchange for your attention, I share what worked, what didn't, book recommendations, and interviews. Together, we can eat an elephant, one bite at a time. Let's get to it. If I sound a little different, it's because I'm recording this episode during my lunch break at the office. I'm trying to come up with a new schedule that maybe will work better for me going forward, so we'll see, but excuse the background noise for now. This week, the topic I wanted to discuss has been It's more meandering than before, which is probably saying something because there's a lot of stream of consciousness that goes on when I'm doing this podcast. So before I get into that, I just want to quickly brief you guys on how things went with Get Organized. So I've been using my planner and my bullet journal uh, pretty religiously since since the last episode. I had already started using that system before. But um, there's just one thing that I wanted to share, and a lot of people kind of wrote to me or said, you know, like, it just seems so complicated, and I don't have time to write things down, or, you know, I always forget. And I just want to remind people that all of these life changes or tools for productivity or whatever thing that you want to change in your life, it's about the practice of doing it. It's not about doing it perfectly all the time. Like, I miss entire weeks of writing my daily memories, and then on Sunday, I'll sit down and just write what I remember from that week. And there's some days I just cannot remember at all. So I'll just skip that day and it's all right. It's a hole in my my daily memory journal, but it's fine. Same thing with my prayer and meditation log. It's more about getting into the habit, encouraging those positive behaviors. Hopefully this makes you feel a little bit better, but the next time you're trying to start a habit and you maybe get discouraged because you don't do it perfectly at at the beginning. It's really just about the practice and the intention and it will come. Moving on to this week's topic, get arrogant. Uh, As I said, it's going to be kind of a doozy, so I really hope that you guys follow along and I don't kind of talk myself in circles with this one, but this topic has really taken me a while to kind of wrap my head around. Um, What I mean by get arrogant, I just mean to say the opposite of likable. A couple weeks ago, I was listening to Oprah, as I always do, Super Soul Conversations podcast. This episode in particular, she was interviewing Mindy Kaling and Reese Witherspoon. And one of the things she brought up in that interview was that they, somewhere in her research, she had found that both of them both don't like the word likable and how it's very common for women in general to be encouraged to be likable above all else, you know, to their own detriment, as it turns out sometimes, you know, because if you are bossy or assertive or you know your own worth you're no longer likable people don't really like that if you sort of um, assert your own value wherever you go it's not just a woman issue but it's my experience and a lot of my friends who are also female have gone gone through that and um like I said, it can be really to your own detriment. And let me give you an example. So I had already thought a little bit about this last year uh, when I was preparing to leave my last job. I had been trying to figure out why I was so unhappy in that situation in the first place. And with a job that, like I said, is you know very comfortable and, and things like that. And the reality is it was a problem of my own making because I kept 
saying yes to things when I wanted to say no, because I felt like I needed that person that I was dealing with to want to work with me because maybe I didn't have anything else to offer, which is obviously not the case. But in that time, I didn't really realize that. And what really brought it out for me was a while ago, we would have a sort of like a yearly training session. We would all go to this one training center and then we'd have workshops during the day and then go out and have, you know, drinks in the evening. And I had, there was one guy, we'll call him D. I had worked with him almost a year before that. I used to do everything that D would ask me to do. He was closer to the top of the food chain at my work, so at least five or six uh, promotions above me, but somehow we ended up working directly together. He would ask me to do all kinds of things that were outside of my job description, that were not billable, that were, that, that would never actually see the light of day a lot of times, and they were a lot of busy work, and it was just, the things that would pop up into his head and I would just sort of catch them and try and do as many things as possible. And at some point it stopped because, um, and this isn't really part of the story, but whatever, he was supposed to support me at some point during work and failed to do so. And it kind of just hit me, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to have his respect. So I ended up just finding somebody else who was willing to work with D. And I was, I just said, okay, I'm on a new project that's billable. Of course, billable hours take precedence. And so I, I found this person. I said, D, meet so-and-so. They're going to be taking over my roles. And I just kind of dropped it right there. And I ended up being pretty happy with myself because I, I think I did it in sort of a diplomatic way. But fast forward a year from that point, we were at this training center. And we are at the after the workshop drinks that we have at the bar. There's like 40 or so people catching up with everyone because everyone's located in different parts of the country. And so I'm engaged in a conversation and D walks up and he goes, hey, Samra, I've been meaning to talk to you. I, I would really like to speak with you. And I remember looking at him and saying, I'm in a conversation. I'll come find you later when I finish here. I didn't put my finger up, but I definitely put my hand up, not in his face, when I said that. So I was very polite and calm, but I made it known that he was not just going to butt into whatever it is that I was doing and take up priority again. Anyway, so the night goes on and I go on to find D. I don't know, maybe 30 minutes later because I had a couple other things to do. And I go, I say, hi, D. How's it going? Um, what is it that you wanted to talk about? And he totally surprised me. He was like oh my gosh, Samra, you've changed. I don't know what it is. You just radiate confidence. And I don't know, it seems like you've grown over the past year. And all these, you know, kind of superlative accolades, literally because I had just put my hand in his face or near his torso area, right? And it just blew me away because I had to treat him like any other person, not like some godlike figure who could make me wake up at 5 a.m. to do something that was, again, not part of my client work or within the scope of things that I'm required to do. He didn't respect me then. He respected me after I established a boundary. I mean, I learned something from it. We finished the conversation and I sort of made a commitment to myself that, okay, I'm going to assert myself in different situations and stop trying to people please because you're putting other people before yourself and in the, you think you're getting their respect, but you're actually getting the opposite of it. So see, I thought I had learned this lesson last year and I found myself in Ethiopia. I definitely manifested the situation. I had left in a way that I was happy with at my work, started something new, found a job and you know, all of my the issues like financially, what am I gonna do with my house? What am I gonna do with all these other things? They kind of, the, those issues kind of solved themselves. Now as I'm settling into a routine of where I'm working, 
I feel like I'm sort of falling into that habit again of trying to be likable and trying to be um, just to please people. And when I think about it, I think it's because I'm disoriented and because I'm in a new environment that I don't understand. And the way I kind of think of it is like when you are on Google Maps and the map hasn't buffered. So I have no way to assess my environment. I don't understand which direction is which. I don't understand where the power balance is. I don't understand how I fall into it, where on what level I fall into. And that sort of disorientation, which is similar to how I felt my previous work, is causing me to say yes to things that I think I should say no to. And I can already point to one way that I'm seeing it in my everyday life, this inability to say no. Um, if you've never been to Africa before or a developing country, everything, every part of your day is a negotiation. And coming from the States and I'm trying to be please, pleasing to people and I'm not really familiar with having to negotiate every aspect of life. I often take the, uh, almost like the disadvantaged role to demonstrate how nice I am or likeable I am, even if it's not good for me. And so that's happened a few times when it comes to the different kinds of work that I'm doing because I have a contract here, but you know, I do interact with a lot of other people and you're making connections and people want your information and your time and kind of giving away a lot of things freely and for not much in return. And I want to say more about it, but that will have to come in a later episode when I sort of wrap my head around it. But what I have witnessed is that I've been taken advantage of in a few situations where it comes to money or time. And I was talking about this with a coworker of mine um, by the name of Kib, and he brought up this really interesting concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The more I talk about it with people, it seems like they already knew, and I was the only one. And here's how that conversation went. Hi everyone, I'm with my friend Kip. Hello. He's a new friend of mine that I made at my current job in Ethiopia where I'm working on a short-term contract. Um, I invited Kip here today because I think he has a lot of insight on this topic. And um, we have, on one hand, so much in common, and on the other hand, have had such a different experience in life because we're both of the Ethiopian Sasha Eritrean diaspora. But where I'm from the U.S., he comes from Sweden, where I've lived in North America all my life. He's just been all over the world. And especially on this topic of getting arrogant and what it means to stand up for yourself in a new environment, I think he has that experience in spades, having lived all over the world and having to reacclimate yourself in different places one, one after another. So I'm going to hand it over to Kip. Thank you for being here. Kip, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in Ethiopia, how we ended up in the same office. What was that like? Oh, okay. So, like, like you, you introduced me. Um, yeah, I was adopted from Ethiopia to Sweden. Then from Sweden, I moved to a lot of countries. And, uh, and yeah, so I was looking for something. Then, um, so I, I, get, I got in, in contact with uh, the company that we are in here now. Mm-hmm. And the startup incubator. Yeah. And I was so interested in fresh mind and everything. Then since then, I've been here. So, I mean, even before that, though, do you want to talk a little bit about all the different places that you've lived and what that was like? I know you went to Monash University, where every semester you live in a different place, right? Yes, yes. I've been in so many countries, 35 countries. Talk about the most impactful, maybe the top five. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, the most impactful, West Africa, mm-hmm. 
very interesting, disorientating, but at the same time, really lovely place. Is that where you were in boarding school? Yes, uh, my final high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I learned a lot. I think I grew up a lot in West Africa. So you were by yourself in by the myself, boarding school? By myself, no one. I didn't know anyone when I went there. What country was it? In Ghana. Okay. I was um, situated in Ghana, but I traveled most of West Africa, like Togo, um, Benin, Nigeria, Senegal, Ivory Coast. So it was interesting. Then I moved to Monash, mm -hmm. so, uh, Australia. This is for university, your first year in university? You yes. went to Australia? Yes, my undergraduate. Yeah. Okay. And I went to Australia and it was really random because um, very different people, completely like, yeah, it's like you meet every kind of race and everything, but in a way they were really like different. Let me put it that way. Okay. And again, disorientating and uh, you feel uh, you don't belong there. At the same time, you want to really strive towards it. Then I moved to Malaysia. Okay. Because Monash has different campuses in Malaysia, China, now in Brazil, Italy, and South Africa. Because Malaysia was really difficult to live in. For me, it's like the way I think, the way I behave and everything. And it wasn't coherent with the society mm -hmm. and there was a backlash not necessarily there was anything mm -hmm. people did to me or like you know but at the same time you can see that I was if I put it weirdo kind of thing yeah you're like yeah. kind of out of place yeah okay. you're like the black in in Malaysia yeah okay no, yeah and, and the culture was different yeah completely it's like People would think that, oh, you're a drug dealer, this, uh, yeah. Because you're black? They thought you were a drug dealer. Yeah, if you're black, generally, yes. Okay, so I feel like this doesn't even scratch the surface. We could talk, we have a whole episode about your specific life, moving around and things like that. But, yeah. What has been, since you were moving around, uh, what was the biggest challenge since you've adjusted? to Ethiopia like coming to Ethiopia what has been your biggest challenge in terms of like getting used to the culture or establishing yourself here I think I came two months Whoa, ago okay. and you came like three more months before me when did you two come? two months before you when I arrived in Ethiopia I thought it's like Ethiopia would be like oh coming home you know yeah and after the, so long coming back to your yeah, birthplace to the roots and like people would just automatically accept me oh, okay I want to do something and I came to the company to the firm and Slowly I figured out, no, that's not how it works. Uh -huh. For example, my English, I have an accent. Or, like, you know, mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. And people will be like, mm, you don't speak Amharic. I don't speak Amharic. You understand? Yeah. So that is a challenge by itself. And then they look at you, but you look Havasha. Yeah, I'm Havasha. So what's wrong with you? Why? And you, yeah. they understand that backlash. So you already have like an initial barrier when you first meet people. A lot of barriers. It's like the way I act, the way like I'm direct when I'm talking, mm -hmm. and people like to talk around the bush to explain something, and like it irritates me. But that's how people are. I'm not saying. And one thing, when you talk directly, people don't like it. I've yeah. noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. They really don't like it when you are up. You just yeah, so say this, what's being said. Yeah, and these are the challenge. Like these challenges are not easy. It's, it's like the pain, everything, and at the same time, there is happiness behind it. It's like meeting a lot of people who are interesting, and um, they give you all. This time, actually, I could say that it's like there's a lot of support system mm -hmm. that I found, and maybe last time was uh, it, it was good. Okay. So that's yeah. awesome. So, back to the subject of today's episode, which is getting arrogant. I was explaining to you the my concept earlier today, 
and um, I was explaining that like there's when you're kind of in a new environment you kind of have to hold on to whatever is readily available to you and try and make yourself likable to as many people as possible because you you're kind of grasping at straws just yeah. to situate yourself yeah. and and figure out where am I going to get money like where am I going to live and who am I going to hang out with and who is going to help me kind of get through this process before you feel comfortable enough to do it yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting and added a lot of value here because like I said I felt like until I felt established or that I could get leverage in some way or have power behind me that I needed to please everyone eventually to my own ultimate detriment Right, and so you brought up something Maslow's hierarchy of needs that I think brings an interesting perspective. So first off, can you please tell me what explain what is Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Okay, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a psychological um, kind of uh, phenomenon mm-hmm. whereby it explains why people either think or the way they are in terms of power or in terms of the way they live and in terms of their needs as well. So basically, that's the easiest way of explaining Maslow's. So it's a pyramid. I looked into it. Yeah. And so what is in the layers of the pyramid? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing is the physiological needs, which are like... This is the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah, the bottom. Basic necessities. Basic necessities. survival, water, shelter. Survival, yes. Okay. Basic. Everybody is like must have Mm -hmm. the food, the shelter, the water, all this, you know? And... Without this, you cannot live. You're not. You're no longer human. I don't think anyone can survive without this. Food, water, shelter. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Those are the basics. Then we're talking about safety. What do we mean by safety? We're talking about like uh, being um, secure. Like financially, having physically secure, uh, not like a government sort of governing situation, or no? Uh, in terms of security, in terms of uh, from physical harm from, you know, fire, all these kind of things. Not necessarily is financial. Financial comes later. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, at this, you're comfortable enough in order to secure your house. In okay. a sense, you have, shelter, uh, you know, um, those fences. Yeah. Basic things are covered. Okay, so that's where I was coming from yeah. with the, the financial security, but not, like, riches. You have enough yeah, 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 just to get Yeah, you have high. to have, yeah. Okay. Then it goes to belonging, which is... No, I'm looking love and... Oh, yeah, love. Love and belonging, yeah. yeah. So you have to be loved. I mean, these are family and uh, to belong to a society, to belong... Where you feel you belong yeah. is what is... At least having that. Even if you're not where you... Like, in your home, per se, but ha- knowing that you have a home and that you have a society gives you power when you walk throughout the, yes. your world. It's even like if you're in a different country, right? Yeah. Feeling belonging to bigger than you. Society is bigger than the individual, so that and then self-esteem, which is how do you see yourself? So, so yeah, self-esteem is being aware about yourself. Now it's like you're on your own, meaning not necessarily out of the place, but it's like you're secure financially. You're out of that kind of what we call the one percent. Yeah, so yeah. most people are still struggling with physiological safety and love and belonging. Yes. That's what most people are trying to get at. Yeah. The next step is your own personal self-esteem yeah. and how you feel about yourself. I mean, because if you can't, don't have food, shelter, water, I mean, you don't really work on like self-love and things because you don't have time yeah, and energy to devote to it. This is when you're in that hierarchy. Yeah, now you're in the 1%, as you said. Yes. Okay. And if you have a little dot here, you go for 
plastic surgery or anything. But after that, it's self-actualization. Mm-hmm. Whereby I don't think it's like ninety-nine percent. Not only uh, I, much like in life, majority of the people don't reach self-actualization. Reach. What is yeah. self-actualization actually? Self-actualization is whereby people see you the way you want them to see you, and you see yourself the way you want. To see. Oh, so both are aligned. Aligned, yes. If psychologically, that's the way that I can explain it. Uh, for example, Albert, Albert Einstein. He's respected by anyone, no matter what he makes. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. He's actually he's like he has reached that level that everybody respects him. And he has, he has the power in terms of intellectual power and everything. Therefore, nobody, even the president, would just call him to get an opinion from him. Mm-hmm. And his opinion matters more than anyone's opinion. Okay. That's when self-actualization comes from. Yeah. So this conversation that we're having about being arrogant and asserting yourself at the detriment of being likable um, and sort of advocating for yourself, I feel like it comes somewhere between self-esteem and self-actualization. Like yes. In order for us to even have this discussion, we at least have to acknowledge that most things in our life have been taken care of, like are yeah. at least handled for now. The physiological thing, the safety thing, the love and belonging thing. Yeah, at some level, yes. At some level. So those things are out of the way. So now the focus is on, okay, how do you... Hmm, because the choice to be likable or to stand up for yourself comes from the fact that you, you don't need those those extra things, those things that we just talked about. Yes. The th- bottom three levels of the pyramid. Yeah, so yeah, if you yeah. want to move to the next step, you have to actually start to align how you, what you, how you see yourself and how other people see you by asserting that idea you have of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I'm just curious, how have you been able, like, so for me, I feel like because in D.C. or in my past places where I, when I orient myself, I understand who I am, where I belong in the society, within my group of friends, within my family, like I have this internal sort of, I feel like I have leverage and more power, right? So I'm able to assert myself more. And being here, we said a lot about the disorientation and how like now I'm falling back on this whole thing of wanting people to like me and trying to grasp at straws. But in reality, I don't need to. Like the basics of my pyramid are still fulfilled. I didn't lose any of those things. And so trying to remind myself, you know, that being likable is not the goal. Is this something that you feel like you've reached here? Like this ability to not go after people's approval, but go after your own approval and go after what you want? I think this is a very interesting question. Okay. Why? Because I've experienced it over and over and over and over. Like when you move from one place to another place, you know you want to be liked by that like by this group of people or the people that you meet a lot. Mm-hmm. And at some point you get disorientated. Why? Because it's like oh, are they judging me here. You don't know. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. For example, moving from Sweden to West Africa, from West Africa to other countries, to mm-hmm. you know Middle East, uh, India, all these kind of places. You know. So what happens is, let's say, when I was in South Africa, the first thing that happened was, it's like, okay, I need to form, like, you know, meet people, because you know no one. Yeah. So imagine, it just, I came to Ethiopia, and you know one, then, now it's like, I met you, or oh, I'm trying so hard for you to like me, so that I can be friends with you, and I get approval yeah. from you. But at that moment, sorry to cut you off, but you don't even know if that person is a good person. 
Yeah. But you just want somebody to like you yes. so you can have some external validation. Belonging, yes. Yes. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So it's like we have passed through all this again, you go back. You know, that is the kind of uh, frequency we move on. Yeah. If you understand what I mean. So for me, it's like when I came to Ethiopia, it was really disorientated. You you feel you lack some things. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, you lack... You don't know what your value is in this new environment. environment. So you're just like accepting everything. And then when you have choices, then you'll be able to choose. Okay. Even though you just want to have the options, Yeah. you know, and my issue here is that I find that trying to get as many people to like me as possible, trying to get as many people on my side as possible is a waste of energy. I could be devoting that energy to myself, to people who have proven to me that they're worth that time and, and focus. The problem is that the confidence to do that it takes, it takes yeah. Yeah, yeah it takes a lot of energy yeah, it is true. Yeah. so what is it that's keeping us from maintaining that level of confidence throughout life like I've constantly shown and reminded that whenever I stay true to myself in a conversation I am received with more respect and people re- actually react better to me than when I was trying to go after their approval. Yeah, yeah. So how do you remind yourself on a day-to-day basis, like, I don't need anybody else's validation from mine, in practice? You know, unless you have self-actualization, it's going to be recurring because at some point, we all lack some experience. Let's say your grandma. Yeah. Yeah, your grandma, for example. So, bye, everybody. Just so you know, I live with my grandma, as I mentioned in the last episode in Ethiopia, and Kib has come over to have lunch with her. Yeah, so amazing. It's like I speak to her, and she has moved through so many experiences that when he, when I'm talking to her or something, she recognizes I'm there. She respects everything, but she's not going to take everything that I say or like at a face value kind of thing. Yeah. In a sense, she knows what, who she is. She doesn't care. It's like whether I like her, I dislike her. She will say what is the truth, and she was asking me honest, honestly, direct questions. And that's the kind of person I like, actually. But why I'm mentioning her, because until now, I always talk about her, you know. And the thing is, that level of experience, in order to get it at this age, I think is close to impossibility, if you're talking about probability. But it is a recurring struggle. And I think it's good that we are aware about it now. Yeah. Actually, you just made me think of something that could be the tips for this week's episode, you know, because I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around, like, what am I actually going to do differently? besides being true to myself, which is, like, really not an actionable, actionable yeah, phrase. Like, yeah, yeah. I think I'm just going to emulate my grandma. Not to give a crap about what people say and just kind of say what's on my mind and as long as I'm speaking my truth, yeah, I'll have a good reaction. If someone has a bad reaction, then maybe they're not for me and I can save the energy for somebody else who is reacting well. Obviously, I'm not going out there insulting people or hurting people, but not trying to change myself for every environment. So that people always like me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but before we close, I want to say something, like maybe for the audience as well, mm-hmm. progress. When I was in Dusseldorf, there is a rabbi. Dusseldorf, Germany? Yeah, Germany, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I went there, and like this rabbi I met in, you know, Hopanov, and what he told me is this. He told me that it's like, you know, the more you move from one place to another place to, to another place, what what, <laughs> what happen is um, you get disoriented. As long as you don't hurt anyone, but you're okay with your conscience, whatever action you take, you should be okay, kind of thing. Do you understand? Yeah. So okay. it was a very interesting, like, to make me feel like, you know, no matter what, you don't need to be liked. People will like you if you're yourself. You yeah. Know, you're, 
And he said, just stick to whatever your conscience says yeah, in the moment. Yeah, your conscience, and some people will call it gut feeling. Yes, exactly. I always talk about the gut feeling. Like, it yeah. does not lead you wrong. I have so much to digest from this episode. So, I want to thank you, Kip, for you so sitting for down with me yeah. and supporting the podcast. And, and pleasure. Yeah. I mean... It's just been great to meet you. I know we have more time ahead. And thank you guys. We're going to continue with the episode in a little bit. So the conversation I had with Kib about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then the other things we talked about as well, um, it really helped broaden my understanding of this concept of likability and the fact that it's such a privilege to be able to assert yourself and assert your worth because you already have the physiological needs covered, the safety needs covered, and potentially the love and belonging and community part covered. So what's left is self-esteem and self-actualization. Once you have the bottom three, you can say yes or no to things because you have a choice. You have something to fall back on. You don't have as much to lose. And right after I was having this conversation with Kib, I was with another friend in the office. We'll call him T. T and I were leaving the building. We're going downstairs. And in Ethiopia, every building has a bunch of security guards and people who check your bags at the door. And there's actually a coffee shop in our uh, on the first floor. So I'm walking downstairs with T and everybody's face lights up when T was walking by. They hug him. Literally, the security guard is hugging this man. And the women in the coffee shop are like, hey, T, how's it going? And I turned to him and I was like, what did you do? What did you do for these people? And he was literally like, I just asked them how they're doing. I asked them how their day is doing. He was like, people, the people in the service jobs in Ethiopia are really treated like trash. It's very easy to almost stop noticing these people who make your life so much easier in every respect. Because they're everywhere and most of them are poor. And so the kind of treatment that they're forced to accept from people is really absurd and inexcusable, honestly. But the worst part is they can't really do anything about it because they need the job, because they need the money, and those bottom levels of Maslow's hierarchy, the physiological needs, safety, love and belonging, maybe it's missing. And so even to be having this conversation of me discussing my worth and my value and being able to say yes or no to certain things because it's not in line with my purpose or whatever is a huge privilege. It just really opened my eyes. I'm not saying that this isn't true in America too, but it's way more pronounced here because the balance of power is so much more pronounced. The imbalance of power, I should say. So there's extremely, ridiculously rich people and extremely, ridiculously poor people existing in the same community and interacting every day. And when that happens, people learn or they learn certain behaviors that would typically be unacceptable in my case, when I was taken advantage of, it was really frustrating. Going forward, I changed my interaction with that person because at the end of the day, if I lose the job, like I will be fine. For my own self, I, I do want to continue asserting myself and asserting um, what's right for me and not taking, not always saying yes to people and sort of standing up for myself. One, because it's good for me, but two, because I actually earn the respect of other people. But on top of that, I want to be more understanding and more aware of how my actions affect other people and how I potentially could be misusing the power that I have in this society. So it's my job to make sure that I'm sticking up for other people or at least not using my power in a way that hurts. So it's a lot of things all together, things that I'm still trying to work out. Um, I hope that that made sense. I'll probably be uh, reiterating on this next week once I get my thoughts together. 
All right, so the book of the week is still A Darker Shade of Magic, which I'll be talking about next week. Until then, the two riddles for this week are from an interview that I had years ago. So the first is, imagine a room with no windows. Inside that room is a light bulb, and that room is inside a building that has no windows and a closed door. So essentially, you cannot see inside the room. You are standing outside of the building, and next to you are three light switches. Only one of them controls the light bulb and you can only go inside the building once to check if the light switch is on. How do you determine which one, which light switch controls the light bulb? Second one is imagine you have a balancing scale. In addition to the scale, you have six round identical balls. Only one of the balls is slightly lighter than the rest. And you can't tell just by holding it, you need the scale to uh, determine which one it is. So imagine you have these six balls and you can only use the scale twice. How do you find the lighter ball? And if you get this one, imagine the same problem, you're balancing scale and you can only use it twice to determine the lighter ball, but in this case, instead of six, you have nine. Okay guys, that's it. Um, to try to work it out. I encourage you not to Google the answer because I'll be giving it to you next week. Um, in the meantime, if you have any riddles that you want to share or book recommendations, or if you feel like liking and subscribing and writing a review, I would also love that. Uh, on top of that, I also wrote a blog post this week called Copy Your Way to Success, Six Ways That Templates Can Save You Precious Time and Energy. So go and check that out. Uh, it's my first blog post ever, and I'm probably going to be using that blog as just a place for me to hold my life hacks and different things that you know really don't warrant an entire podcast episode. So with that, I'll let you guys go. Thank you so much again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.